Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness towards us. Father, I want to thank you that everybody who knows you is loved, that you love the whole world, but you have a special place for your people uh, in your heart. And Father, we pray for our children as they go to junior church. We ask that you would speak to them. We ask that you would minister to them. Father, we pray for those leading that you would empower and anoint them. And Father, I pray for an anointing on myself this morning upon your people. Father, give us ears to hear what you are saying to us. Lord, we bless you and we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, today is the first day or the first Advent of the season. Anybody know what Advent means? Yep, go for it, John. The coming of the Lord. Yep, top of the class, John. If I had some chocolates to give away, then you would get those. Um, let me quote you something from the Church of England. Now, I know the Church of England have made some dodgy decisions of late, um, but some things they explain quite well, and this is what they say. Advent is a season of expectation and preparation as the church prepares to celebrate the coming Adventus, that's where it comes from, Adventus, pardon me, of Christ in his incarnation. Incarnation means God becoming a man. And also looks ahead to his final advent as judge at the end of time. The readings and liturgies not only direct us towards Christ's birth, but they also challenge the modern reluctance to confront the theme of divine judgment. I really like that because it just brings in the whole realm that we're dealing with. And then they quote Charles Wesley who said, Every eye shall now behold him robed in dreadful majesty. I love that phrase, dreadful majesty. Not because it's going to be a dreadful robe. You know, we're getting into uh, Christmas jumper day. Um, but because when he comes, he comes as judge. And so Advent is about Christ's coming. So what do we focus on in Advent? Well, there are actually four great themes that have been traditionally spoken about during Advent, and you're probably only going to like one of them. The first one is death. Well, why are we talking about death at Christmas? Well, we'll talk about that. Judgment. Well, we're not too keen on that one either. Heaven. Yep, I like that one. We'll talk about heaven. And hell. Well, I don't want to talk about that one either. So these four are there because the Advent season is expectation. We're expecting Christ to return, but we're also preparing for his coming. The Christ who came at Christmas is coming again. And when he comes, it will signal the end of all that we know. And the question is this, are we prepared for this second Advent? The best preparation is recognizing what Christ did when he came in his first Advent, his first coming, and living in the good of that. And so the Advent season, it always looks ahead to the final Advent of Christ. And my kind of phrase for this morning is this, rejoicing in the first Advent of Christ leads to preparing 
for the second advent of Christ. The two are connected. Uh, there's a prayer in Corinthians that says, Lord, come, which is the Greek word maranatha, which is a prayer that has been said by the church through the last 2,000 years because we want Christ to return. And so the idea is that as we rejoice in the first advent of Christ, it should lead us to preparing for the second advent. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you are preparing for Christmas? Anybody? A few of us. So we're preparing because we're celebrating the first advent of Jesus, but the advent that is closest to us is the second one. We're some 2,000 away years away from Jesus' first advent, but Jesus' second advent, if we look at what's going on in the world around us, it is at the door, it is near to us, and are we prepared? And so I'm going to read two scriptures this morning. I'm going to read one from the Old Testament and one from the New. The Old Testament is this, Isaiah 64, verse 1 to 9. I'm reading from the NLT because it's a bit easier to understand. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. How the mountains would quake in your presence. As fire causes wood to burn and water to boil, your coming would make the nations tremble. Then your enemies would learn the reason for your fame. When you came down long ago, you did awesome deeds beyond our highest expectations. And oh, how the mountains quaked. For since the world began, no ear has heard and no eye has seen a God like you who works for those who wait for him. You welcome those who gladly do good, who follow godly ways. But you have been angry with us, for we are not godly. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all formed by your hand. Don't be so angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are your people. And so this scripture gives this full spectrum of longing for God to come down, recognizing that we are sinners, recognizing that the majority of the world doesn't want to repent, but that he, our Father, brings some of us to a place of repentance. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. And then Mark chapter 13, verse 24 to 27. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, 
from the farthest ends of the earth to the heavens. Now these two scriptures, they highlight something. Firstly, the Christmas season in the UK has lost its true meaning. It's been commercialized. You know, we have the Christmas tree, we focus on the presents. And, you know, I know some folks are not too keen on having Christmas trees in the church, but actually I like celebrating it as long as we do not be, get seduced by the commercialism that is in the world. I mean, let's be honest, we're celebrating something great. The first advent of God, Jesus Christ becoming a man, that is to be celebrated. And if we put trees up with lights or whatever else we put up, I think it's a good thing to celebrate it. But we need to pull it back from the clutches of commercialism and from it's all about getting things to remembering that actually it's about the coming Christ who is coming again. And so we need to make sure that even though it's a time of rejoicing, there is also a kind of somber tone to Advent. Why a somber tone? Because we need to be watchful. Think about this for a minute. That you've been preparing for Christmas. You've done all your shopping. You've, you've gone out. You've got your turkey. Although nowadays it seems nobody likes turkey anymore. But anyway, anybody having turkey this year? Oh, sir, there's a few of us. That's good. So you get it all ready. Imagine you've got all of this ready. Turkey's in the fridge. Pantry's full. Christmas presents are under the tree. And on the 24th, Jesus returns. Think about that for a moment. Jesus comes back on the 24th. We'll all be saying, couldn't you just wait one day? Jesus comes back on the 24th, and we need to be ready on the 24th, not the 25th. We need to be ready now. We need to be prepared. I mean, let's face it, the church and the world has had 2,000 years to get ready. It's not like it's going to take us by surprise, but it will. Because the world isn't ready, and Jesus said it will take us by surprise. And so we're in this season where we need to be watchful. We need to be prepared. We need to make sure that what we are celebrating is Christ and that we're looking forward to this second advent. Because you see, the world is fixated on getting presents. It's all about, yeah, Jesus brought us life and it's all really good, but it doesn't focus on the coming Christ who will be very different to when he came the first time. The second advent of Jesus Christ is the culmination of the first one. Think about that for a moment. It's not over until his second coming. It's a bit like, this is a really poor example, it's the only one I could think of. Have you ever been to the dentist and the dentist kind of said, well I've done some of the work, but you've got to come back to get the rest done. And it would be foolish to think it's all over after the first one. I remember I had, um, when I was in India, I had to have some wisdom teeth out. And my wisdom teeth were quite deeply rooted. So they had to send me to a dentist surgeon. And I had to wait a week with bits of tooth kind of wobbling about at the back because they couldn't get it out. Uh, and, and the first visit wasn't it. 
It's the kind of second one that brings everything to a conclusion. And Jesus came the first time to save, but he comes a second time to judge. First time to save, second time to judge. We don't know when his second coming will occur, and so we need to be watchful because it could happen at any time. Now, the scripture we read in Isaiah can be kind of split into a number of sections. Verse 1 to 4 is about our longing for God to come down. But even that's a challenge, you know. How many of you want Jesus to come back? Why do you want him to come back? It's a good question to ask. Why are you looking for Christ to return? I'll talk more about that in a moment. Verses 5 to 6 talk about God's holiness and our sin. Something really wrong with humanity. Verse 7 highlights that nobody wants to repent. Verse 8 highlights that God is our Father and Creator. And verse 9 shows what genuine repentance is really like. And so this whole passage talks about man's plight, God's goodness, but it brings back to this phrase that I've got, that rejoicing in the first advent leads to preparing for the second we long for Christ to return. We want God to come back. We pray this prayer, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We want to see God do what he did in the past. We live in a world that's forgotten. It's forgotten God. The Western world, the United Kingdom, by and large, has so forgotten God that it's just lost in itself. We want him to return but it's not just about him returning, it's about us being prepared for when he comes back. I think that's one of the things we often miss. You know, we, we make these gospel appeals, we, we say to people, yes, you need to repent of your sin, but there needs to be some preparation for when Jesus comes back. He's looking for a prepared bride, a bride that is ready. You remember the story of the, the virgins with the oil, ten of them. Five of them prepared, five of them didn't. And the conclusion of that whole parable is that only five got in. It's about being ready, it's about being prepared for the Jesus who is coming. Why do we need to prepare? Well, simply put, the world is out of order. Everything in the world is upside down. The scripture says that we will reach a day where good is evil and evil is good. I mean, we have phrases now, you know, if something's really good, it's wicked. Well, what do they say now, bad? What's the phrase? I'm looking at the girls who go to school. What do you guys say when something's really good? Yeah, I've heard sick, I've heard wicked. Yeah. You're just blagging now. But we live in a world where what we believe morally as Christians is seen as being evil. Think about that for a moment. You talk about anything to do with a traditional view of sexuality and marriage, man, you are the worst person out according to our world. And so we live in a world that is completely messed up 
And the world, which was something to be enjoyed, has become something that we now endure. The sad fact is, for many people, existence is an endurance. It is not an enjoyment. You only need to walk through the town centre to see the number of people who are sleeping rough to realise there's an endurance for them. They're not enjoying the world. You look at people who get themselves in debt over Christmas, who don't earn enough money, who don't have enough um, to, to meet their needs. It's an endurance. For people who wake up every morning and think this is just one slog after the other, the world has become something it was not designed to be because mankind is evil and has broken all of the rules that God has said and therefore we long for him to come and to put that right and we are preparing for his return. And part of that preparation is about how we live. So we're rejoicing that Jesus came at Christmas but we're preparing because we know he's going to come again. I've always wondered why it, why it is that when Christians say stuff, people are so vitriolic against it. You see it in the news. That if somebody stands up and says something against what is popular but used to be very immoral. You know, if we only go back 50 years in the British culture, stuff that was classed as immoral then is now fine. In fact, it's champion, this is really good, and oh, that was all just, they were just prudish and, and, and whatever. And the world would like Christians just to shut up. And they want Christians to shut up because when you say something is wrong, the people who are doing it then feel the guilt of their doing wrong. Because scripture says that until sin is revealed, we don't know it's sin. It's like with children, isn't it? They do something, they say, well, that's wrong. You don't do that. Oh, okay. And we teach them and they learn what's wrong. But when you live in a world where what is wrong is championed as being right, then as soon as somebody says this is wrong, they foam at the mouth and they're angry because you are reminding them that even though they think they can get away with it, they can't because God is watching. I'm really not too bothered what the world does. I am in some ways because I have to live in the world because I know at some point when Christ returns, he will deal with all of this. And people can kid themselves that they can live any lifestyle that they like, but at the end of the day, God will say, it's according to my values and rules that you'll be judged, not yours. Oh, the icicles are coming with me. And so we live in a place that, you know, I, I find it appalling that we can look at our history and see the wrong that we've done there, but we can't see it today. You know, the way we treat people and exploit people, the selfishness and greed that is in the world. Well, I've spoken about sexual immorality and, and people just don't want to be reminded. And the verse 7 in this Isaiah scripture basically says people are ignoring God. They ignore God. But the thing is, when they really see that God loves them, verse 8, 
They hit verse 9, that they acknowledge their sin. One of the reasons I think that our church needs to be doing things like we did yesterday with the uh, Christmas fun day is people need to see that we love them. They need to come in and say, yeah, they might not agree with what I'm doing, but they are demonstrating love and not hate. The challenge of the church in its history is there have been periods of time where we've hated things. Now, I know we're supposed to hate the devil and sin, but we're not supposed to hate people. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So we can hate the devil, we can hate sin, but we love people. Now, by loving people, we're not endorsing what they do. We're simply saying God loves you, God cares for you. He would love you to change how you live and have a relationship with him. And so we're in this kind of thing where we need to do that because otherwise people will live and die in their ignorance. And so we can't be silent. We have to speak out. We have to say, hey guys, this is not the way to live. Now, judgment is not something that we like. It is an unpalatable idea. People do not like the idea of judgment. I can't imagine anybody in the United Kingdom who has to go to court goes, whoopee, I'm going to court today. It's an unpalatable idea, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Because God hasn't come down and, and judged people up until this point doesn't mean he's not going to. Because Scripture's really clear. He's set a time when he will do that. The Jews waited, or should I say the world waited, for a good few thousand years until the Messiah was revealed. Isaiah's prophecies that we're reading, they were 700 years before Jesus came, 700 years before. And so we're kind of 2,000 years into knowing that Jesus is returning, but we don't know when, but we know it's not too far in the distant future. And so my question this morning is, are you ready for when Jesus returns? I'm with you that we rejoice for Christmas, but I'm also with you to say, hey, we need to be preparing here. We need to make sure that we are ready for when Jesus returns. One of the things this year that's been a phenomenal challenge is that we've had loved ones who've passed away and it's been unexpected. And we don't know. The one thing I know clearer now than I did at the beginning of the year is we are not guaranteed three score years and ten. I had to do the difficult funeral a few weeks ago of a baby. We're not guaranteed to hit old age. And so there is this challenge that even if we don't, if we do kind of get there, at some point we will stand before Christ or Christ will return and we need to be ready. And I would say one of the things that Jesus mentioned a number of times in Scripture, he says, be ready. Be ready. All of the apostles said to people, you need to be ready, you need to be watchful, you need to be preparing. We need to make sure that we're ready for when Jesus comes back. 
I want Jesus to come back. But one of the challenges that I feel with wanting Jesus to come back is that often I want him to come back to do the kind of things that I think are wrong. You look at that and you think, man, what they're doing is evil. Lord, you need to come back, sort them out. But you know, A.W. Tozer made this amazing statement. He said, Jesus is always himself wherever he appears. Think about that for a moment. He is always himself. What does that mean? It means when he comes back, he will judge everybody, not just the people that I think he should judge. He'll go, hey, Simon. There is this story that I never understood in the Old Testament that kind of points to this. And it was the story about when a man went with his wife into Benjamin and long story short, she was abused and stuff and she died and he cut her up into pieces, sent her to the 12 tribes of Israel and they said what the Benjamites have done has been really evil and so they sent all of the armies to attack Benjamin and they said to the Lord, should we go? And the Lord said yes. And yet the first two times they went into battle, they lost thousands of their people. I'm thinking, what's going on here? God's sending you to judge Benjamin and yet you're the ones being killed. And the simple truth out of that is, is that they weren't as righteous as they thought they were. You know, we're kind of there saying, yeah, God needs to judge the world, but he needs to start with us. Doesn't the scripture say that judgment begins in the house of God? And so, although we're praying Jesus come, remember, he will be who he is and he will work with his value and he will judge sin across the board. Be it the Pope or be it us. And so I know this is not a standard Christmas message this morning, but we're rejoicing in Jesus' first advent but we need to be preparing for the second. And this Advent is a reminder for us to get ourselves ready. And I wanted to encourage you that as you're getting everything ready for Christmas, to use it as a bit of an exercise to say, Lord, would you filter my heart about, am I ready for you to come back? Am I ready for you to bring all things to a conclusion and to reward and to judge. Am, am I ready for that? And you know what? He will help us in getting ready. He will highlight the things that we need to change. I have found that our Savior is a loving Savior. And when we ask and we ask him to help us, he does that. You know, I can sit there um, when I'm having my devotional time and I say, Lord, would you point out anything in my heart that I've done today that is not right. And it comes like this. Think, oh, that was quick. You know what? He wants us to be right. And the challenge for us is to be a prepared people. Yeah, let us rejoice this Christmas. But let us prepare because that baby who became a man who died on the cross and who rose from the dead and is now in heaven is coming back and he's not coming back as a little baby. He's not coming back as gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He is coming back as the king of glory to judge the earth. And this is the made to judge the living and the dead. And it brings in an eternal judgment. And so this morning, we look for Jesus. We look to prepare not just for his first coming, 
but we look to prepare for his second coming. We're looking to fulfill his commands and we're looking so that we can actually live the kind of life that would honor him. And I want to encourage you in that, to live the kind of life that honors Jesus, that lifts up his name, and that brings glory to who he is. And some of this, we have to fight through Christmas. We have to fight through that commercialism. Don't worry about these guys that are going out to do coffee. So, you know, fighting through the commercialism and all that stuff to get to the real truth is that Jesus came in love and we need to get ready for his second coming. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you this morning. I want to thank you that you love us. I want to thank you that we've had 2,000 years of being able to get ready. And I want to pray that as we're in this season now, the first Advent, we've just hit December. I want to pray that you would help us that as we prepare for Christmas, we're also preparing for that second Advent for when Jesus Christ will return. And so, Father, I pray, I pray for your people today. I pray that we wouldn't feel burdened or condemned by this, but we would feel that it's just a time and a challenge to get ready and we would be encouraged to honour Jesus in all that we do. Lord, bless your people. Lord, encourage them. Lord, help them in all that they need to do. I pray that God would heal you if you are sick. Uh, we rebuke that sickness this morning in Jesus' name and we speak healing and wholeness into your body and we pray that in your spirit and in your heart and in your mind, that Christ Jesus would be set apart as Lord and that you would be lifted up with the hope that he brings this season, a hope that goes from this season to the second advent in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.